You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockham looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Powered by Seahawks.com. It has been a long time, but the wait is over. Seahawks week one is upon us. Welcome to the Seahawks Insider Podcast. I'm Jen Mueller alongside John Boyle as usual. Oh, John, am I did supposed you, to did you want to say there, hello Jen? to folks? I thought, you know, I thought you were still introducing me. I, I need more, Jen. <laughs> we need more. Yeah, you need a better introduction. That's fine. You uh, need hi, a everyone. better introduction. How about this? John has you covered on Seahawks.com. He and I have been the Seahawks insider team for a few years now, which means we know what normal looks like around the VMAC and for the season. This is definitely not normal, but it is what 2020 is going to look like. So, John, heading into week one, what are you most excited about? Just for the season in general. Well, Jen, that awkward pause was to kind of help preview how we don't know what things are going to look like in week one without a preseason. So I, it was it was the long game I'm playing there. No, I mean, I'm uh, to me, there's a million things, and we'll get more into this, but the, the mystery around it makes it really interesting because we just haven't seen this team. Uh, but I would say I'm most excited to see this defense, how they use Jamal Adams, and just... There's a lot of new pieces of that defense and what it looks like and how they play, if anything's different, all those things. I would say for me, I'm just excited to see some real football. I mean, we've seen mock games and I did not realize how much I would miss the preseason. And I say that somewhat in jest because when we're in the middle of some of those preseason games, you're just thinking, wow, this is long and it's perhaps not the best football that I'm going to see. Um, But I do miss that, and it feels awkward to be going into week one without that. And because of that, there's some nerves and I think some anxiety that I have. But what about you, John? Like, is there there an anxiousness that's hanging over the season for you? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's anxiousness or excitement, but it's just really this sense of mystery. We just don't know. I mean, we have no idea how that offensive line is going to come together. They they really like individually what they've seen out of the guys they've added, but they've never played a real game together. We don't know what this new look pass rush is going to look like. We're v- everyone's really excited about the secondary, but we haven't seen them together. So it's really just this overarching sense of the unknown, and it really goes both ways. I mean, the Falcons bring back a lot of guys, but they've also added some some new players who are pretty exciting and new to the team. So we just it's going to be a lot of kind of feeling out. We don't know what each team's going to look like. For all of the unknowns, and we're going to dive into those in just a little bit, there is also the unmistakable sense of excitement that Pete Carroll says you can feel top to bottom in the organization. Yeah, it's really fun. You can feel the, the energy in uh, everybody, the coaches, everybody in the building, uh, the players for sure. You know, it's uh, and for a lot of guys, it's their first NFL game ever, and so that's they're, you know, they're all pumped up about it. We're, we're, you know, it's really important to us to watch those guys and see that they don't, they don't get too, too hyped or whatever. They need to stay in in the kind of pocket that we need to stay in. So, uh, but there's a lot of excitement about it, and this is, you know, I, I think even more anticipation in a sense because we've had so little football, you know, over the course of the off season, and also. Uh, there's a big buildup, looking forward to it, and, and uh, it's going to be a, a much different experience than we normally see on the road, you know, so um, it's going to be interesting. 
It is interesting to think about what it's going to be like without any fans, without that same crowd noise. And you wonder, John, if all of this doesn't point back to the Seahawks draft strategy in being able to draft guys who are self-starters, because when we think about how different this is going to be, you also think about what you have seen from these guys as far as being able to assimilate without any preseason or offseason. Yeah, that's going to be tough for those young guys. And, you know, I think the one thing that might actually help them is the lack of fans. You won't have that, like Pete Carroll alluded to there, of guys getting too excited. You won't have that guy who's feeding off the 75,000 people and maybe trying a little too hard. But that's, I mean, we've talked about it all along. That's who the preseason hurts the most are these rookies, these young guys who haven't played a lot. And not having those games, we're gonna, it's going to be kind of a feeling out process as they go. But on the plus side of that, it is the only thing that they have ever known because a college football season does not come with a preseason schedule either. And while it has been several years, in fact, more than a decade since Pete Carroll has been in the college ranks, he can draw from that experience as this team heads into Atlanta Sunday. There's no question. Like I've said from the start, you know, okay, we just flick into the the college prep, you know, and and how we did that. And... uh, you know, what What was uh, unique about the SC thing was that every single game mattered to the at the end of the year in terms, you know, you had to try to win every game, you know. And so that first game when you didn't know and you had to figure out, you know, where you were and, you know, we, did you have a good club or not, um, you know, there was, there was a lot going. And so uh, um, it, it really did prepare for this because every game for us is a championship game here and we, we look at it the same way. And um, so I'm glad they had that experience. And of course, Pete Carroll knows how to handle it. It does not change the way that they approach anything. That is one of the things we know about this team. How about if we look at some of the known things about the Atlanta Falcons before we go back into the Seahawks and what they look like going into this matchup? It's interesting when you look at Atlanta and you kind of know what to expect from some of those big name veteran players, but they definitely were a second half team last year, winning six of their last eight games. That means that Dan Quinn keeps his job. John, what do you think you know about the Falcons? Uh, you know, it's funny. You mentioned last year and they, they really kind of started to turn that season in the loss to the Seahawks and Seahawks jumped all over them. And then the Falcons got going in the second half and, you know, they, then they made a bunch of changes and had a pretty good second half. What we know, that's going to be a really explosive offense as long as you have Julio Jones and Matt Ryan out there. And, and now, I mean, obviously he's new to them, but we all know Todd Gurley well. And as long as if his legs are fresh and he's his old self, he's a great player. So that's kind of the main thing I think we know about them. I, they have some question marks on defense. That'll be more the the mystery what we're figuring out. But, yeah, I mean, that's – as long as they've got Matt Ryan thrown to Julio, I think that's the one thing you know is going to be real tough to stop and a good test for this secondary we've been so excited about. Well, and the Seahawks didn't face Matt Ryan last year. It was Matt Schaub, and he did tee off on the defense in the second half. And Pete Carroll had said this week, you know, perhaps the team did not handle a big lead as well as they could have. That is not a position that the team was in very often. So he kind of said that with a little wry smile on his face. We also know that Todd Gurley can be one of the most dangerous running backs. But, John, I was a little bit surprised to go back and look. I I just assumed the numbers because he's had such a great career against Seattle. He's played the Hawks nine times. He has more rushing yards and more rushing touchdowns against the Hawks than any other opponent. 
part of that is because he was a division opponent for so long. He has not gone over 100 yards rushing, though, in more than a season. I did not know that. But, yeah, I mean, it definitely there are some concerns with that knee for him. And last year they used him a lot less. Um, and so it's not a given that he's going to be the player he was two, three years ago when he was an all-pro level back. But I do, you know, from what I've heard out of Atlanta, they've been intentionally limiting him in training camp to try to keep him fresh. And I don't think he's ever going to be a 25 carry a game back anymore, but he still could be a guy who's really dangerous if they use him right and if his legs are right. Well, and you know that they want to get that running game going because the Falcons were among the worst teams in rushing offense last year, 30th in the NFL. They averaged just a hair over 85 rushing yards a game. They did not have a running back go for 100 yards in the game. So you know that they want to balance out that offense just a little bit because for as good as Matt Ryan is, you can't just account for everything with the passing game, and I'm thinking about that in relation to that revamp secondary from the Seahawks. I kind of like what this looks like because I, I do see them relying heavily on the pass, and I do see the secondary rising to that challenge. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity, and it's also going to be a good chance to get a first look at this revamped pass rush, which is looking a lot different. Jadevian Clowney's gone. They brought in... Benson Mayo, Bruce Irvin, Alton Robinson's had a really good camp. They're counting on LJ Collier, who looks like he's going to be a starter to really pick up after kind of a lost rookie season. So Matt Ryan was sacked 48 times last year, tied for the most in the league, unfortunately, with a quarterback named Russell Wilson and also Kyler Murray. But uh, there's going to be opportunities to get after the quarterback, and it's going to be, you know, if, if this pass rush is anywhere close to what the Seahawks hope it is, this is going to be a good chance to get it going and help out that secondary. And then we all know those play off each other. The secondary can help the pass rush as well with good coverage. Yeah. And then when you take a look at the other side of this equation, the Falcons defense, and I thought this was interesting because Dan Quinn is a defensive minded coach last year, that defense again, at the bottom of the rankings among all NFL teams, pass rushing defense. It just, it wasn't there. In fact, the Seahawks and the Lions were also in the bottom part of those rankings when it comes to sacks and, and to pass rush. And how much do you think that they have revamped it when you've got Dante Fowler that's now on that line and you know that Dan Quinn can do stuff with talent? Yeah, I mean, Dante Fowler, double-digit sack guy for the Rams last year. He's kind of the main guy they're counting on upgrading that. And then like the Seahawks, they're hoping to get better through the secondary and have that benefit the pass rush. You know, they went out, used a first round pick on AJ Terrell, who again, really strong reviews coming out of camp on his play. So I mean, we saw last year that secondary had some trouble with the Seahawks. They, they got lost twice trying to cover DK Metcalf wide open for touchdowns. So um, if their secondary is better, much like the Seahawks, that, that could help their pass rush improve along with it. And really, week one is going to be a feeling out process. Everybody has tried to play things close to the vest because without preseason games, no film has gotten out. Of course, teams don't want to give anybody the upper hand before you actually get on the field and show them schemes, show them different packages and things like that. But if Pete Carroll was asked to evaluate where his team is right now, well, he was really all smiles this week. I'm very pleased with where we are right now. I'm really excited about this team going out and, and, and finally getting a chance to show it. And uh, it really wouldn't matter who we're playing or where we're playing right now. We just got to go play a football game and, and, and uh, 
and see what we need to adjust. Um, but our guys have, the leadership has been really formidable uh, in keeping the pace and keeping the tempo and keeping the focus. And that's all we could hope for. And, and uh, so let's go see. You know, that's why we play the games. We've got to find out what's going to happen. We'll have a good story for you afterwards. John, what do you think the Seahawks have adjusted most? Or where have they made the biggest adjustment going into this year compared to what we saw last season? That's, you know, personnel-wise, it's probably the offensive line just because you look at, you know, 60% of your line is new or at least new to being starters. Um, I think kind of schematically we don't know what the defense is going to be yet, but it's probably based off the reviews we've heard of Marquise Blair in that nickel role, I think it's probably safe to assume they'll play a little more nickel than last year when they were unusually heavy on base defense. So to me, that's going to be the potential biggest change is, you know, what does that defense look like in the secondary? How do they use Jamal Adams? He's such a unique player that he can be in the box like a linebacker. He can cover guys downfield. He can blitz. So that's where I think there's the most unknown is just what are they doing on defense schematically? And it, it, that could play to their advantage in the first week or two as teams, teams aren't going to know what to expect of Jamal Adams in particular. Well, and we have seen a lot of different combinations on the field during practices, right? Where they really are getting best talent out there. And it's not going to be the base defense that we saw for a substantial portion of last season, you're going to have some different pressure packages in there. And Pete Carroll has already said that he's going to make sure that those reps get spread around a little bit. And John, I don't know if you kind of understood this the same way I do. Let's make sure that we're on the same page here. A lot of that is just to make sure that you don't overload guys on week one and then run into a problem on week two. I don't know if that's more rotations or if that's just getting different sub packages in there where you're spelling guys a little bit more. Yeah, no, that's kind of how I took it. I think there are two things in play there. One is there might be some competitions they want to continue to evaluate a little bit. We've seen them do that at times in the past. I think there's been a couple of competitions at guard where they've let guys trade off series. I mean, maybe it's maybe you let Trey Flowers and Quentin Dunbar have a few series at cornerback because Dunbar had such a limited camp. Maybe you let Jordan Brooks spell KJ Wright a little bit just to keep KJ's legs fresh. And it's it, and the other side of it is what you're saying is these guys haven't had just the physical preparation they normally would have played in those preseason games. And you don't want a guy to go, you know, go from no real live game action to 60 snaps who might not be able to physically handle that. So you just you're, you're playing the long game a little bit. Well, in the two competitions or battles that we were keeping a close eye on cornerback and center, let's go since we we're just talking defense. You mentioned Trey Flowers, Quentin Dunbar. What do you make of what we're seeing there and whether that's still an open competition or where it's kind of a wait and see? Where yeah, are we at? I mean, I, obviously, I'm sure by, you know, we're talking, we're in game week. I'm sure Pete Carroll has a pretty good idea what he wants to do there, but he's also within his rights to tell us to wait and find out later. And it's, I would say the door is definitely not shut on either guy. Trey Flowers has the advantage of knowing the system really well. He's been here two years, and everyone's been really happy with the camp he's had. If he ends up losing this job, Dunbar, it's not because he didn't respond well to the competition. It's just the other guy came in and did well. So, um, you know, I think it, possibly it's a different story of Dunbar's here the entire camp and here every day, but he, he got here late, then he had to leave for a funeral, so he missed some time. Um, I mean... The, the one takeaway I have is no matter what happens, the Seahawks are going to feel better about that position this year because one of two things happen. Dunbar comes in and upgrades it, or Trey Flowers responded so well to competition that he elevated his game and he's a better player than he was last year. So 
if nothing else, they're they're going to be better and deeper there. But it's kind of TBD. We probably won't know for sure until Sunday when when the Falcons' offense takes the field. Yeah, that competition never really materialized like maybe we thought it would in camp. But when I talked to Pete Carroll about that earlier this week, he did note that Trey is still more confident than he has ever seen him before. That is allowing him to play freer. So to your point, I I don't think the Seahawks can go wrong with either of those guys. The other competition that was decided late in camp was the competition at center. Ethan Posick wins out. Pete Carroll has been very... um, excited I think about what they've seen from Posick what have your observations been and how he fits in with that line yeah it's interesting I think a lot of us maybe assume when you go out and sign BJ Finney for a two-year deal and give him a little bit of money that it made sense for him to come in and get that job and Posick just he was the guy who knew the offense best he stepped in and was comfortable the whole time uh, you know, he's been a guard most of his time here, but he was a center for a lot of his college career. So that wasn't a really difficult move for him to step in there. And then the other thing we didn't really know about until Pete Carroll brought it up is he's he was playing through a sports hernia injury last year that was hampering him quite a bit. So he's feeling a lot better. He's moving better. He's healthy. Um, you know, it's good for him. He's, you know, he's had an interesting career. He's been around now. This is his fourth year and he's kicked around to different spots and never been able to really hold on to a role. So this is a great opportunity for Ethan to sort of cement himself. And when we talk about the health of Ethan Posick, one of the things Pete said was it really does help with his strength. You know, if he looked like he was overpowered at times, part of that is because he needed sports hernia surgery. He's been dealing with that for so long. Now he has his strength back, which means he's got his balance back. And yeah, he is going to face some tough nose guards, nose tackles in the league. He's going to have to hold his own. I do think it helps having the guys around him that he does. I will say Brandon Shell is a monster of a man. And as much as I love DJ Fluker out there, it just looks like he's a little bit more balanced and perhaps more powerful as a result. Yeah, I mean, they've been really happy with Brandon Shell early on. Pete Carroll said he's kind of been one of their one of his favorite additions this offseason. I, I got some funny Twitter comments pointing out Jamal Adams when I pointed that quote out, which is which is fair. Uh, but yeah, the fact that they're even talking about Brandon Shell that way bodes really well for him at right tackle. And then Damian Lewis has been that rookie that just everyone raves about at guard. So it's uh, it, it's new. Again, there's going to be some inevitable hiccups. There, there'll be a play. I would almost guarantee fans there will be a play this Sunday where two guys are not on the same page and someone comes free and it looks like a mess. But long term, I think they're really excited about that group as a whole and what they've added there. Well, and you, when you take a look at the backups there, should they be needed? And the at some point in time, better, yeah. there's always an injury, right? You like what you've got in Jordan Simmons and Jamarco Jones backing up the guard spots. And, and at least you've got, I think, a little bit more athletic depth yeah. across the entire offensive line. Yeah, I mean, both those guys you mentioned have starting experience. That, you know, Phil Haynes, unfortunately, starts here on injured reserve. But if they can get him back, he's a guy they see a lot of upside in. And then they went out and added uh, Cedric Abui at tackle, who's, you know, hasn't had a ton of starting experience in his career, but is a former first round pick and it shows in his athleticism. So uh, as you said, I think, I think this depth is, you know, there's still some mystery about how it all comes together with the starting group, but I think their depth is really good. And I think it would certainly help if the Seahawks could get off to a good start in Atlanta and get a week one win. John, we're going to wrap up our conversation today with this. What are two things you need to see Sunday for the Seahawks to get a win. 
Uh, well, you touched on this earlier. I want to see them keep keep Gurley in check and keep them one-dimensional because I, I think if you keep the Falcons one-dimensional, that pass rush can maybe get a little confidence, which could be big for them early in the season. And then uh, you, you maybe get some of those turnovers on the back end, things like that. Other side of the ball, I just want to see them take care of the ball. We we saw all the fumble issues. Russell Wilson's great at it. We know he's does not throw very many interceptions, but those fumbles were a real problem last year. And, you know, maybe start the year with a turnover-free game and start a good trend of, of being good with the ball because I, I just think that offense, Russell, he's too good and he has too many weapons that if they don't hurt themselves, I, I think they're going to be really good every week if, if they just be smart with the ball. One of the things I want to see on the offensive side is Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde working in tandem to go for at least a combined 125. And I know that people want to see Russ cook, and that's going to be an option. If you can get that ground game going, then we'll be able to see what DK Metcalf is doing. And on the defensive side of things, I would like to see at least two pass breakups. I would love to say two interceptions, but it's week one. I'm going to let him work in. Yeah, how about a little, how about two PBUs on my uh, log sheet? And I think that would be enough to help set the tone. All right. So I feel good about what we've picked. We'll see if the Seahawks follow our game plan. We will break down everything that we see in Atlanta when we join you next week on the new edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast.